just a couple more housekeeping things and then I'm gonna bring up our guest. You guys ready? First thing is, I recognize that not everybody in this room has the same beliefs. I already told you that the leadership team, we have a lot of different perspectives on things and that's true, but you guys do too. So uh, this is for everybody, but we do come at this from a Christian worldview. So if you're an atheist or a skeptic and you're like, what have I done? We are so excited that you're here and we will not try to convert you like a little, but not a lot. Um, so, but welcome and keep coming back and keep asking questions and, and we're happy to have you here. Second thing is, some of you know that we have a podcast born out of this event, it's called Theology on Air. Our podcast is gonna kinda change. We've been doing weekly content, but we're gonna move to doing more series that we actually put some real research into. And so if you have an idea for something you want us to do a series on, come and talk to us. We're gonna be doing one on the reformers. Sounds boring, but it's gonna be cool, trust me. We have another one that's gonna be all things sex. What does the Bible say about sex from the beginning to the end? All your questions finally answered. Uh, on and on from there. Um, and then lastly, we recently did a miniature theology on tap at a little coffee house. We capped it at 12 people so everybody could really talk because it was a very niche idea. If you have a niche idea that you think we should do a mini theology on tap about, come and talk to me. Talk to me if you have podcast ideas. Talk to me if you have TOT ideas. You all have my number. Talk to me if you know any single men about my age that love Jesus. You get it. Okay. All right. I think that's all my housekeeping. So I'm going to invite our guest, Christian, come tell you a little bit about him and talk about conspiracies. Here we go. Hello, everyone. You guys hear me all right? Yeah? All right. Welcome. So you guys definitely did not uh, come for the sunshine and rainbows talk tonight. We're going we're gonna to get into some hairy stuff. And I can just, I want to preface it by saying I love being in a room of people who are willing to think critically and question things and be friends at the end of doing that. So glad to have you and buckle up because it's going to be a ride. So um, conspiracy theories or Satanism. So here we go. None of us knows everything. Can we start there? It is impossible for all of us to keep up with every theory that's going out there. The scripture says we all see through a glass dimly. We're all looking through this glass, trying to make sense of our world, and humans are meaning-making machines. We cannot help but try to fill in the gaps of what we do not know, and sometimes we don't guess well, okay? So, you guys probably know this first if you've been in Christian circles, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? What is it against? It is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is more to this world that we don't see very well, and there is a force that is opposed to good, okay? So what is really going on these days? Well, you're in good company if you guess wrong from time to time, okay? Who said, get behind me, Satan? Anybody know? Jesus, right? So does that mean that Peter was dumb? Does that mean that Peter was unlovable, that he had moral failings, that his salvation was in question, or that he was going to be kicked out of the disciplehood? No, right? He was forgivable like the rest of us. So you're in good company. The deal here is that Peter, look at the expression on his face, if you will. He could not have been more wrong, right? He was pierced by that rebuke. That's kind of like that like, can you just picture what that would feel like to hear, get behind me, Satan? 180 degrees opposite of truth is where he was with his statement. Jesus said, that is a stumbling block, and that is from, your, that is from Satan, okay? So maybe we can have a little humility approaching these topics, right? 
for you, Jesus was even more aggressive with some of the religious leaders. He did not have kind things to say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. For he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there was no truth in him. So I don't know where you guys come from on the theological, political spectrum, but whatever his experience you have had for, with religion, know that Jesus talked about that, and he had harsh words for anybody that would use religion for something that wasn't of God, okay? So my point is we can know the scriptures really, really well and still completely miss the point of what's going on in this world and what's really evil and what's not, okay? So a few thoughts on conspiracy theories. I want to set this up as well as I can. What is a conspiracy? It is two or more people getting together to conspire to do something. Two or more people planning something. They could plan to sell you a chicken sandwich or to try to take over the world. Or they could maybe get, you know, 12 guys together and hatch a plan to go spread a message of a kingdom all over the planet, right? Conspiracy, they could, we could conspire to do good things and we could conspire to do not so good things, right? So what is a conspiracy theory? It is a guess. It's, it's a, I think I'm looking at what people say and do. This is my guess as to what is happening, all right? So the big rub, or one of the big rubs with a conspiracy theory is the why and the how question. There's this idea that we have this offensive, like why in the world would someone do that is an often a, a common question when we hear about conspiracy theories. Or the how in the world would someone even pull that off? And I'd like to say both of those are really good questions and we should keep asking them. But what they often tend to do is they give us an excuse to go, well, if I can't explain why or I can't explain how, therefore it must not be true. And that's a big leap in logic and it often displays a level of laziness about looking into things that maybe we can take a harder look and say, maybe there's actually something here. So the emotional rub with conspiracy theories is often that we are knowingly ascribing evil to someone else's behavior. And that doesn't really feel very good, right? There's got to be a better explanation than that person's just behaving as their father the devil, right? We also don't like that there's the potential that we could be duped. How? Uh, I, I don't want to believe the wrong thing because that would say something about me. And we also don't want to not believe something that's true. So sometimes it's easier just to be like, nah, no thanks. And the other thing that's probably the most personal is that sometimes there's the potential that if a conspiracy or something evil is actually happening, it may have implications that we should change our behavior. Or now that I see the world through that lens, there's some things that are different. And so being willing to say, Ugh, maybe if that's true, my behavior should or needs to change. All right, so some prep for the journey. I think it takes about four things to be able to handle conspiracy theories relatively well. One is the acceptance that evil exists. If you have a hard time with that one, genuinely, I would love to chat with you. We can just talk about the 20th century, right? Evil is a thing. We just heard about human trafficking and what they're doing to fight that, right? Humility, we're going to have to humble ourselves and look at things. We're going to have to have level-headed curiosity and do our best to check in with Scripture and the Holy Spirit. If we can do that, I think we can make some headway on these conspiracy theories, okay? So... Another preface worth mentioning is that awakening can be liberating. Yeah, oh, that makes so much sense. Now I can put the pieces together. And that can also be equally traumatizing or terrifying. And I don't mean to do that if I do that to you tonight, right? But sometimes awakening is really hard to hear because it's uncomfortable. But if we can face it, I believe God can fix it. So 
I'm going to talk to you like adults tonight. I'm going to give you my best shot at what I have spent a lot of time trying to put together. And we'll see where it goes. So some theology. Let's start there. So we have to know our enemy, right? What is our enemy up to? What does he want? Well, he goes by different names. Satan, Lucifer, adversary, enemy. And so I've been tasked with wrapping all of Satanism and conspiracies into one talk. <laughs> Two, okay. Satanism and conspiracies. And so I'm going to grossly oversimplify. We can all appreciate that even within any denomination, any particular church, there is still disagreement. So the generalities of Satanism and Luciferianism, I'm going to differentiate those two. Satanism tends to be more of a just, what, and there are spectrums of how much people were de are potentially desensitized to different levels of, right? But Satanism tends to be more carnal focused. It's the idea that if God said that, and that's what the church represents, I'm gonna do the opposite. It's just a rejection of anything in scripture, probably because of some experience before that said, mm, that's not right. Luciferianism wants to be more sophisticated. It recognizes there's a light and there's a dark, and wh where the sweet spot is, we need to live in our dark side a little bit and live in our light side and just accept that. And it tries to be more sneaky, I would say, more organized, more institutionalized than just raw, in your face, Satanism. Okay, that's very general. It doesn't cover everyone's experience, but I only have so much time. Okay, so what does our enemy want? Basically three things. He wants to challenge God's rule. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? He wants to be worshiped instead of God, right? Bow down and worship me and I will give you all of this. It was Satan's temptation to Jesus, right? And he wants to mar and destroy and disfigure God's creation because that is the apple of God's eye, right? That is his goal, and as repulsive as it may be to us, that is what he wants. He wants to take the creation and make it unrecognizable. All right, so what are the tactics of our enemy? Misuse scripture, plant seeds of doubt. Did God really say that? He lies. In fact, Jesus calls him the father of lies. He says when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue, and that's just lying. It reminds me of a certain doctor. He masquerades as an angel of light. Right? He pretends to be really good, and I would never do something harmful. Or he masquerades as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Like, just a little docile sheep, I would never hurt anyone. Right? That would be a tactic. He's a relentless accuser, constantly before the throne, accusing us of our sins before the Father. Read blackmail in there. Okay, he preys upon our fears, our insecurities, and our disordered desires. And he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That is intentionally terrifying, right? That's not like he's a puppy dog and sometimes bites you. No, that's I'm going to enjoy consuming you and hurting you. And I might eat your kids first and then hurt you. That's the kind of sickness that our enemy has. And then John 10, 10 sums it up and says, it's easier to steal and kill and destroy. Those are the tactics of our enemy. So our enemy also knows who we are. He knows the human condition better than you and I do, by the way. He knows that we are the object of God's affection, and that bothers him because he can't have the rulership that God has. There's, he knows there's a God-shaped hole inside of all of us that only God can fill that, and he tries to tempt us with everything that he tells us will fill that hole. He knows there is a people-shaped hole inside of us. God said, it is not good for you to be alone. You need each other. The Trinity is a relationship, and so are we. He knows that eternity is in our hearts. He knows that we are made for and long for a world that is not this broken one. 
And he plays on that. He knows we crave understanding. We fill in gaps. We're trying to make sense of this world. And he tries to feed us things that fill in some gaps. He also tries, we, we also don't understand ourselves. Part of my work as a coach is helping people with the, I know what to do, but I can't make myself do it. There's some part about me that I just, I don't even understand myself. He wants to give you an understanding. He knows that there is a difference between right and wrong. Why is blackmail effective? You ever thought of that? It is because we have a conscience. And there's enough of us that can go, oh, that's not right. If it was just you do you and do whatever you want, there would be no reason for us to be offended by anything. Blackmail works because we instinctively, it says in Revelation, or sorry, in Romans chapter one, you're, we are without excuse. We know that murder and theft and adultery and on and on is in our heart of hearts, in our honest moments, we know that is wrong. And Satan knows to keep us divided is the best thing because we have to keep fighting each other because if we understand what evil is, we won't win. So he also knows that followers of Jesus are forgiven, deputized children of God. He knows if we actually stand in the authority we have, he's powerless. He's going to do everything he can to stop that. All right, so here's my thesis. Here's where I'm going to lose some of you, all right? We are dealing with the most organized evil that has ever existed. It has infiltrated and consolidated every major industry in the world, okay? There are people who knowingly or unknowingly, I think religious leaders, do you think when Jesus confronted them and said, you are working for your father, the devil, they were like, okay, you're right, you got me. I'm actually working for Satan. No, they didn't even know that that was, the, you think Peter knew that? No. Knowingly or unknowingly, they promote and carry out Satan's desires to disfigure creation and anything sacred. So we are up against, I think I covered all my bases here, we are up against a mix of atheistic, psychotic, wealthy, cunning, greedy, lustful, satanic, luciferian, eugenics, transhumanist, cannibalistic, collectivist, Darwinian, pedophiles, and sheep's clothing. I think I got them all. That is the spirit of evil that is present in this world and does its best to, to disfigure creation. So the how, that's the why, right? How in the world would you pull off something like that? Okay, so here, first thing we should note is that evil really has a marketing problem, right? If, if you were gonna go try to do that, if you were just came out and said, here's what I wanna do to you, we'd probably be like, um, no, maybe you should talk to someone, maybe I should call the police, right? It has a marketing problem. So what does evil have to do? It constantly rebrands itself as something different. Every time we figure it out, it's like, well, it's not that anymore. And they just keep changing the names of everything but the spirit that is behind it remains the same. You have to give it to our enemy. He is relentless and crafty. What if we were as relentless and crafty as him? So here's a question for you. How many of you think the world would function better if more people adopted your ideas? Who of us wouldn't raise our hand, right? All of us think that way, of course. We would be weird. We'd be internally all sorts of conflicted if we didn't think the world would operate better. If you've ever said you need to or you should to your friend or spouse, you're just inserted, I, I kind of know better than you, and you should do this, right? We all do that. So, but is there really somebody, there's really an Illuminati, is there really somebody who would have the gall to think, not only are my ideas better, but I'm going to force them on the population. I'll take such a haughty view of myself. Yes, they're called the Illuminati. So rather than giving you a really long, winding, complicated history lesson and weave together a lot of conjecture and things we can verify, I figure it might be faster if we just go to their website. So if you go to their website, Elu Temple Supreme, really rolls off your tongue, 
here's if you go to their beliefs at the top left there's there's four main things the eye of the pyramid the eternal circle and the light the eye i'm not going to go through all of them but the eye take comfort everyone we are watching out for you we don't know who we are but we're watching out for you the human species is guarded and preserved by a coalition of its most elite members called the illuminati don't you feel better okay small text i apologize for this next slide but Here's our beliefs. The Illuminati has no belief but, so they kind of have a plural singular problem there, but the Illuminati has no belief but the sovereignty of the human species. Okay, third line, paragraph one. We operate solely for the benefit of the human species we have been entrusted to protect. I'm sorry, hang on a sec. You've been entrusted by who? And to protect us from what? Exactly. They don't tell you that. Therefore, we make no demands of our citizens regarding personal worship, morality, or belief. We don't require you to believe anything, okay? Next. Strangely, though, they have spiritual powers and influence for grasp, which is really a, a kind of a clunky sentence. I don't know who grasp is, but if we get a little bit deeper, you can get the spiritual prowess and influence you need, even though you don't have to have a spiritual belief. You can get the control of your own destiny. Awesome, that sounds pretty good. And you can have, you can master your choices independent of favors. So apparently you and I are under the illusion that we can't master our choices without favors from someone. Hmm, okay. This was the most comforting thing I found on their website. I was like, oh, yes. They want me for the Illuminati. Fantastic. We want you to join the Brotherhood of the Illuminati. Sorry, ladies. A celestial touch, we, no beliefs that you require, but we, you get a celestial touch, and then why each of the last eight words are capitalized, I have no idea, but you get to channel your inner energy and radiate positive aura. What does that even mean? Okay, next, to the true believer, in what exactly? I bestow riches and fame. Ugh, it sounds a little bit like Jesus is being tempted in the desert again, doesn't it? Bow down and worship me, and I will give you all of this. Okay, so my favorite part. Okay, remember, please, these are the self-proclaimed smartest people on the planet, right? We have a logic problem, we have a grammar problem, and we have a spelling problem. First line, poverty is the root of all evil. They can't even spell evil, right? Money is the solution. Somewhere else on their website, they say money is the root of all good. About that logic problem, it's either neutral, it can't be the root of all good if it can't also be used for evil. Never mind. Join the elite class and become part of the world's financial solution. Oh, this is about money. Riches beyond your wildest imagination, which is kind of insulting because I have a pretty good imagination. But they think they can outdo whatever I can think of. Okay, that is a really quick rundown of the Illuminati. So, does the Bible say much about money? Yeah, a lot. 11 of Jesus' 39 parables talk about money. Over 2,300 verses talk about money. It is not a topic the Bible shies away from. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Any evil you could possibly think of could find its roots in loving money, right? Jesus said no one can serve two masters. You, gotta, you have to pick here. You can, you'll either hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other, but you can't serve both God and money. Okay, how many of you think capitalism is to blame for our current financial situation. Inflation, debt crisis, okay? Next question. How many of you think, or how many of you have ever lived in a capitalist society? 
None of us, unless you were born, but unless you're about 109 years old, you've never lived in a capitalist society. What we live under is a socialist system masquerading as a free market, pretending to be something it's not, okay? So here's the $21 trillion question. What if you could control money? Think about that. What, what kind of power would that give you? If you could decide not just what it is, like that's money and that's not, but who gets to use it and that people can only use the money that you make and you can decide how much interest to charge and you can give some to your friends and you can take it away from people. You can make as much money as you want. If you want to buy something, you just write a little note to yourself and then you hand somebody money. Would that not be powerful? Right? Okay. This is a quote from Amshel Rothschild. Give me control of the economics of a country, and I don't care who makes the laws. The few who understand the system will be either so interested from its profits or so dependent on its favors, there will be no opposition from that class. His son said this, give me, or sorry, he said, I care not what puppet sits on the throne of England. The man who controls the British money supply controls the British empire, and I control the British money supply. Or Henry Kissinger put it more succinctly and said, he who controls the money controls the world. Okay. Come on, clicker. Anybody know what building that is? Anybody know what building that is? Okay, does anybody know what country that is? You would have to be really dialed in to know that I just asked you the same question twice. Whoa, what? You mean that building is a country? Yeah, that building is a country. That may be the biggest hub of evil on this entire planet. Okay, so I'd like you to meet the Bank for International Settlements, also known as the Country for International Settlements. So a few fun facts about this bank. It operates independent of any nation. It meets in secrecy doesn't take minutes, can't be audited, doesn't pay taxes, can't be sued, has its own police force. Whoa, that is the central bank of central banks. When you hear central banking, hear the words central planning. A central bank is an institution that controls the money supply of an entire nation. And a central bank that meets with 63 other central banks and comes together and plays by those rules is the money system that we live under. Does anybody think that's a free market? No. What could possibly go wrong, right? With that kind of control, that might have actually been beyond my wildest imagination, but I don't have time to get into it because Sarah won't give me more time, so if you want to dive down this rabbit hole, you can check out either of those two books, The History of Central Banking and The Enslavement of Mankind by Stephen Mitford Goodson, or you could check out The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. And the short version of that is if you think you understand history, but you don't understand monetary history, you have been fooled. You have been given the sanitized, cleaned up version of what bankers who control money want you to think is what happened. That's what you get. If you understand monetary history and who's pulling what levers, history looks really different. Okay, so well, here, welcome to the biggest heist in history that most of you probably don't even know happened. The US government is missing somewhere between 21 trillion with a T, and $90 trillion, that's a lot, right? For context, a day or two before 9-11, Donald Rumsfeld goes on television and breaks it to the public that somehow the Department of Defense lost $2 trillion. We just, anybody know where we put that? Like, 
Did we buy a bunch of aircraft carriers I didn't know about? What happened? It just went missing. 9-11 happened, we kind of lost track. In 2015, it's just carried on every year. You can track this. They have unaccounted adjustments listed as a line item in the federal budget. 2015 was the last year we could actually see what was going on. Then they turned it, they turned it into black ops and you can't even see where the money goes. All we know is there's about $21 trillion missing and that's as of 2015. So to think it stopped, all the bailouts and doubling of the money supply since COVID, that went somewhere. So you can check out that video if you want to watch or hear more about it, but let's, let's step back and do some critical thinking here for a second. Do you think people who commit a crime that big might be protective of who gets to enter their circle in their cartel. How does the mafia work, right? Does the mafia need people who will do their bidding, who will hide things, cover things up? You think they play dirty? Do you think they stole $21 trillion to clean up the oceans or to stop trafficking or to feed the world? <clears throat> do you, so might they promise you riches beyond your wildest imagination? Do you think the mafia might use hierarchy or rituals or even brutal rites of passage to protect their interests? If you haven't heard of Ronald Bernard, he was invited into the central banking circles and he climbed the ladder. And one of the requirements was at some point he had to put his conscience in a freezer at 100 degrees below zero. And he had to take the next step and what finally started thawing his frozen conscience was torturing children. And he had to step back and say, I'm out. According to him, there's about 8,000 to 8,500 people who actually run the world. So how the heck did they pull this off? Sarah's already telling me I'm out of time. So here we go. Have you ever been to the grocery store? Yeah. Have you seen a lot of different brands? Yep. Did you know they're all owned by about 10 companies? Publicly traded companies, which means that they're publicly traded. Hedge funds can buy large shares of those companies and then they can consolidate. You know who BlackRock is? They own $10 trillion of assets. That's more than most countries, almost all of them. Who owns BlackRock? Vanguard. Who owns Vanguard? We don't know. They won't tell us. Hmm. And you can go down the list. If you have not seen the documentary Monopoly, Who Owns the World? I would encourage you to check it out. But one of the fun parts is a collage of all the media across the country, across the political spectrum. They're not just kind of saying the same thing. They're reading the exact same script. And you can play them all simultaneously and it will blow your mind. Okay. What the heck is really going on? Well, the entire world has been sucked into the central banking model and we are dramatically up to our eyeballs in debt and the house of cards has to crash. Every single time central banking has ever been used, it has failed massively. You may have heard of COVID-19 and the Great Reset. What do you do when you're about to be out of moves? You just bump the table and you reset the game and you take over, right? That guy may have done more to wake up the globe than anyone else in history. Klaus Schwab, this is his view of what COVID was all about. It's a narrow window, window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. What are we resetting it to? This is the first of eight visions they have for 2030. You're gonna own nothing. We're done, she says we're done. Okay, then I'm gonna be hurry up because the end is really good. Okay, so does that sound like fun to you? You can meet the prophet. This is Noah Harari, humans. History began when men created gods. It will end when men become gods. Come to me later if you want to really be disgusted by somebody who says we're hackable animals and what they're going to do to us. Patent? How, do you, how are they going to hack us? Check out Google Patent, World Order 2026666 AI. Look it up. 
cryptocurrency in your body, like the one they're using in Sweden, is a grain of rice in your hand for your ID, your keys, and your wallet. Think they wouldn't use it? Check out what happened in China. Turned off all their privileges because they had to try to go to the bank and protest. Canada, their government got put in check. They got out of check by just switching the bank accounts off. Don't think these people would do that? They're willing to steal $21 trillion? Okay, I don't have time to go through all those, nor was I intending to, but if you want to look at how evil just changes names, check out that list and come talk to me about it later. The father of lies is still masquerading. Here we go. Every industry has been consolidated and captured. Corona was a manufactured crisis as a Trojan horse for digital control. The injection is an experimental bioweapon and we are being gaslit. Climate change is a political football designed to seize land. The family unit is being intentionally attacked via education and media. Our food system is literally being burnt to the ground. G to the fifth power is not about faster internet, it's about technocracy. We live under a system of covert governance outside this system. Most federal agencies and politicians have been captured. Do you think Biden runs anything? And you're in a war, someone wants to kill you, take your kids, and you gotta decide if you wanna fight. All right, so, hope versus hopium, right? Who governs us? What laws are passed? Is, is Trump or DeSantis or Nassar Jajar? Is somebody else gonna come save us? Is QAnon waiting in the wings? Is devolution about to happen? The military is just gonna throw Biden out and start over with the Constitution? No, I don't think so. I would love to think there's some good in here, but we gotta face reality. The church got a big fat F, all of it, doesn't matter what religion we're talking about, on COVID. We rolled over, we didn't see evil, and we were fearful. Here's the point I wanna leave you with. <laughs> Sorry. It, the scripture in first, or, 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people, who are called by my name, will do just do four things, you will humble yourself, right? We've got to get off our arrogant high horse and talk to each other. And you will pray. You talk to me. Seek my face. I have all the wisdom you need to see through this. And repent, turn from your wicked ways. I will do what? I will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sins and heal your land. That is the promise he made us. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. If you're afraid, that is coming from nowhere good. What would it mean to step into a spirit of power and love and a sound mind? That is an amazing checks and balance. Okay, I'll skip the last slide for Sarah and I'll just leave this up. If you guys wanna get in touch with me, hear where I came up with all these crazy ideas. I'm happy to. The stuff I hear, here I can back up. Some of the other ones out there, I don't know. So, Christian at TrueWholeHuman.com, and I will turn it over to Sarah. Woo! Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask the panelists to introduce themselves, tell us, like, you know, their background and, you know, why they're up there. And then the subtitle for tonight was, uh, something like sifting fact from fiction, right? How do you know it's true? How do you know it's fiction? And so I'm going to ask you guys to briefly, and then we'll talk about it more at the end, but briefly give us just a couple sentences about how do you even know which of these things is true, how true, how much of it is true, what rubric do you use? Um, and of course, we'll get more into that as we go on, but uh, why don't we start here and work our way down? Actually, you know, if you share with somebody's life, I'll <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Beth White. Um, I am I'm supposed to say why I got here, how I got here. Okay. Cool, cool. So um, I go to a church in uh, Houston called Sojourn Montrose, um, and I teach at uh, Houston Christian High School. I teach the senior Bible class there. Um, 
I have a master's degree in theology from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. It's a cool place. You all should go see it. So can you use a Scottish accent for the duration? I cannot. I was only there for six months. Evan, can you? Okay, we Definitely didn't happen. Uh, But yeah, so I'm here tonight. This is my first time on the panel, so be nice to me. Um, Yeah. And then, wait, what was the other thing? Oh, how do you separate fact from fiction? Ah, Obviously, um, you can't tell us in depth, but just, you know, the beginning of that answer. Yeah. Uh, What would Jesus do? Uh, Generally, generally just, uh, yeah, try and assess things based off of scripture, which I know is hard because you also have to know how to read and interpret scripture, but I think you kind of need some education for that, but... Hello again. So my name is Christian Elliott, in case. Okay, so yeah, my name is Christian Elliott. I am a um, entrepreneur, husband of my wife Nina, father of five kids. I am probably best known as a health coach who's kind of morphing into a life coach. I got into the, I guess you could say, the conspiracy theory realm via COVID. When big government starts pushing on my clients, I have to know what I'm talking about. And being able to step into talking about the COVID injection with some level of confidence um, and, and to defend them or to give them my best, here's my, you pay me for my opinion about things. And so here's my best job to be a steward of your um, money and, and my role as your coach. So that pulled me into COVID and I, I can say I wasn't fooled by it for one second, but I was fooled by a whole lot of other things for most of my life. And that started waking me up to a lot of other things going on in this world that I didn't know about. So how do I sort that? I would say um, I, I like to ask a question everything. Like, why would somebody want me to think that? And kind of the other things you guys already saw me talk about tonight. So. All right, my name's Mac Gervais. I'm a church planner, pastor of City West Church on the west side of town. and. Um, I think just in addressing the, the question of separating fact from fiction, I think if we're truly um, looking to gain a better understanding of truth, uh, you typically have to start with the openness that some or all of what you might believe about the thing that you're researching is wrong. And I think you, you come into the, the this quest with that kind of openness, and then... Um, uh, as you're researching whatever that is, uh, try to look at a diverse, wide range of uh, where you're pulling your information from in order to uh, begin to decipher what what parts of opposing viewpoints do they agree on certain things, and yeah. But you have to be willing to admit that you might be wrong before you even jump in. Otherwise, it's not an actual quest for truth. Is Patrick Hall. I am the rector of Epiphany Episcopal Church over in Southwest Houston, um, and um, yeah, so that's why I'm here. I think uh, I'm on the leadership team. Um, so I, I think there are are kind of two parts to the way that I approach um, questions of sifting fact from fiction. The first one is that uh, as I grow older, I become more practical, um, and I become more um, more convinced that. My daily life is the stage upon which the most important battles of my life are fought. And what that means is I want to be as present as I possibly can be to the people in my daily life, because that's where I have the most leverage to behave 
with charity and love, that's where I have um, the most investment. Um, and so my first question is, in any time anyone asks me about anything, and as a pastor, people want you to want people want your eyeballs on everything that they think is important. And my first question is always, does this it, can I draw an immediate line of causation to my life or the lives of the people who I've been called to steward? And if I can't draw an immediate line of causation, um, I decide that that question is probably not worth my energy. Um, so that's, uh, that's sort of part one from the way that I, I sift fact from fiction. I'm interested in things that are concrete and relevant to my daily life. The more abstract something gets, the less interested in it um, I am. And I think the second piece of my uh, sort of fact from fiction process is that I have zero, I have a low anthropology. And what that means is that I have very little faith in human beings' ability to function effectively in the world. I just don't buy, I don't really believe that humans are that effective at functioning in the world, which is one of the reasons why I'm a Christian, right? Because I believe literally, if not for the cross and resurrection, we would all be hopelessly, hopelessly lost. Um, and so the more um, a claim requires me to believe that large numbers of people are functioning effectively in the world, the less I believe it. In part because I'm the head of a church. Like I'm literally a head of an institution. You want me to tell you how effective my institution is at functioning effectively? It's not. Spoiler alert. Um, anyway, so that's where I stand. You started to kind of get into this a little bit, but we, I think I've already mentioned this, but one of the core values of Theology on Tap is being able to charitably disagree, right? We're going to disagree tonight, so we're going to start feisty, because somebody wrote in this question, uh, who in this panel thinks any of what the speaker said is true, and why do you think this? So obviously, we're asking everyone but Christian for now. <laughs> He's like, that was a great speaker, I loved it. I think people are, I mean, various people have said, like, do the other panelists believe in some of these conspiracy theories? So maybe tip your hands a little bit. I, it was a very wide-ranging presentation. Uh, like a kind of everything in the kitchen sink presentation. I'm not really sure, uh, I was so overwhelmed by the amount of content that I'm not really sure that I could respond to any of the, of the specifics of it. Uh, I can certainly say, um, that I believe that the coronavirus is a real thing. I myself got it. It was unpleasant. I watched several of my parishioners die from it and had to bury them. Um, so I certainly believe that's real. Um, do I believe that our response to it was in some places over-exaggerated and a little bit driven more by anxiety than by reality? Like, certainly I do believe that. But um, anyway, so that's the, the biggest thing that I, 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 I could comment on. There, there was a lot there. Central banking... I, I, I don't know. I have no thoughts about central banking, <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> I just want to make sure my church can pay the bills this month, and uh, that's, uh, that's about as far as my thinking about money goes. Anybody else want to say anything? You're going to leave Patrick twisting in the wind? Well, I mean, sure. That was a, there was a lot covered in that, so I think... Um, so the best way that I can probably respond to that is that question is just say, um, 
what I'm guessing in that question is the last part of the presentation, we kind of got like a, a rapid fire of a lot of things that any one of those would probably be a lot to digest. Um, but since the question was, is any part of that, do I believe that there are, that, that our battle is against flesh and, isn't against flesh and blood, but there are spiritual things going on? Do I, have I seen throughout the course of human history uh, how humanity um, uh, uh, and evil have gone about systematically doing evil things? Is it completely inconceivable that that, that is still happening today? No. Um, but I would tend to take the approach that, uh, th which probably goes beyond the scope of this discussion. I think for each one of those, we'd have to start with the, the, the thesis and then work our way through how we got from systems in this world to this specific thing. But uh, I don't immediately write off something just because it might be a lot for me to wrap my head around. There's a lot of information and a lot of things like that. Uh, I, um, so yeah, so I, it was a lot of things. Um, honestly, half of it I got super lost in and I wasn't sure how we got from Illuminati That's to COVID. Um, but uh, so very similarly, I think I'm in a same, the similar boat to Patrick and Mac as just um, I definitely agree with the scripture passages. I think those were true. Um, uh, For the record, I do too. Just. Yeah, yeah. So we're all there. Um, but also similarly to uh, what Patrick was saying about his low anthropology, I hold to that pretty strongly as well. And so with that, I just don't see how uh, humans can be organized enough to carry out a lot of the stuff that was being said. So that's where my skepticism comes in to a lot of it right at, off the bat. All right, so different shades of skepticism across the panel. I just kind of wanted you guys to know that's what we're dealing with. Uh, somebody wrote this question. So if conspiracy is two or more people trying to explain why and how, et cetera, is scripture itself and theology a conspiracy theory? You can get one anytime. Yes, um, I would say yes. I would say scripture is a conspiracy of God's love for us and his relentless pursuit of stepping into this world and trying to woo us into the relationship he made us for. And it is a beautiful conspiracy. Just mm. I, Why don't we all start our own conspiracies to go love better and to fight evil where we see it? And why can't scripture be the most amazing conspiracy ever hatched? Anybody else? Or are we moving on? I mean, <clears throat> there is a sense in which um, the scriptures are, are a, begin with a plan, right? It, it starts with starts with Eden. It ends with Eden at the resurrection, uh, and God knows how the whole story is going to unfold from the beginning to the end. And there are certainly places in the scripture where people involved in the story don't know how it's going to unfold, but God definitely does know how it's going to unfold. Um, and so there are some senses in which the plan is secret, right? Um, that's uh, language that's sometimes used in the epistles. Um, so certainly, I think um, there are uh, 
there is a plan. Uh, there is, are people working together, mostly not very well, uh, to make that plan come into being, uh, such that God himself makes the plan come into being through Jesus. Um, but I would also say it's a little like the question of, you know, sometimes people quite trying to be like very clever will be like, well, isn't the church just a cult, right? Like if you're saying that like a cult is a cult, isn't the church just a cult? Like, um, you know, it, it's, I think um, it, we have to be able to, to draw lines and determine, you know, what qualifies as uh, a conspiracy theory and what just qualifies as uh, as plan um, and so I would say scriptures fall, fall on that side, not on the, you know, kind of evil conspiracy theory side. All right. There was a lot of talk about banking. And so a few people asked if we could open up this idea of this. Uh, what did you mean when you said we're not living in a capitalist society? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about what we are living in and uh, capitalism, yay or nay? Yes. You start, but then I want other people to react. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... The idea that we're not living under a capitalist society would imply that we live under a free market where market forces determine what survives and what doesn't. When you have a system where something is too big to fail, it can't go out of business because it's part of our arm of control. If it was left to the whims of the free market, it would collapse under its own weight and AIG and Franny and Freddie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and several different banks would have gone belly up or GM. Right? But the government steps in and says, nope, we can't have that. The free market can't work here. We have to manipulate it. The only thing that causes inflation in this world is not free market or is not um, supply and demand. It is inflation of our money supply. It is the adding of more currency units to the money supply. That is what causes prices to go up. Nothing else does it. And when you get your head around that, that there's people who can expand how much currency is in the system, they doubled it once COVID started, that always has downstream implications for the reality that we will live in. And so while we like to think we're under capitalism, we're actually under a controlled money system that is actually a socialist system where there's smart people at the top telling us and controlling how money works. That's not a free market. No, I don't know that there's much to add to that from a theological perspective other than, <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is what I would just say about a lot of this stuff. Like, this is either true or it's not. Like, like when it comes to currency, when it comes to inflation, when it comes to a lot of these things, um, and it's not something that is, um, like, hard to know. Like, either over the last couple of years, we've greatly increased the amount of currency that we've printed, or we haven't. And if we have... And what are the real world implications for that? Can we look at other times in history where people have done such a thing and seen what the end result is? So I, I you know, it might sometimes be like, ah, like hard to, to wrap your mind around, but at the same time, like it's either true or it's not. Did, did we print more money? Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? How do we control these things? Um, you can go, I, I mean, this much of, of, of this, I will agree. You can go look back in, in history and see what FDR said about the Federal Reserve and other, th like these things are like true points of history that you can either, like, people either said these things and this is the system or it's not. And that much of it doesn't have to be confusing. I think we might be uh, a bit at, uh, uneasy about 
where all of the threads lead, but some of these things aren't really up for debate. So I, I think this is a kind of a complicated question, uh, obviously. So here's, here's sort of a brief understanding, or, or my brief understanding of the history of how we got to where we are. Um, early on uh, in our country, currencies were backed by precious metals, right? So the first example of currency was the gold standard. In other words, you could take your dollar bill, you could go into Fort Knox or wherever and get a gold piece that is equivalent to your dollar bill, right? So every dollar that the United States minted was backed by gold that the United States had. What happens is that ultimately that currency standard constricts economic growth because it's dependent on the amount of gold that your government has in a lockbox somewhere. So the next step is the government goes to the silver standard, right? Okay, well, we're going to add silver. There's a lot more of it. It's cheaper. That's going to mean we're going to have more currency for people to essentially borrow money and start businesses and grow the economy. So that works for a while. And then eventually the government is like, we're just not going to back our currency at all. Because the problem is we have all of this demand, all of this desire to create economic activity, but our currency is limited by how much precious metals we have, which means that the currency is too high, worth too much for people to be able to borrow money and move forward with economic activity. So then we add no uh, currency standard at all, right? Well, so then, then what happens is the Great Depression. And at that point, the, governor, the government is basically like, wow, this is bad. Um, and so FDR gets elected, right, on the platform that he's going to create all of the social spending that is going to sort of pump money back into the economy. The key thing is, my understanding is that the money that we have pumped into the economy then and now, we're actually pumping into the economy through debt. So we're not printing money, what we're doing is we're issuing debt, right? And so it's that national debt that is being used to fund all of the things in, you know, all the COVID subsidies and all that. So no one is, it's not like we're going to the US Mint and saying, print more dollars. What we're doing is we're going to the debt market, right, and saying, hey, we want to borrow more money so that we can do all these programs. Um, now, I'll be the first to say, like, I worry about our national debt. Um, I do. Um, and I do think, in some ways, our economic system is incredibly complicated, right? And there's, like, literally one economic system that the whole world participates in. Um, and I do think that's incredibly complicated. It's going to create some problems and may eventually collapse in the same way the Roman Empire did and set us back into the Dark Ages. I don't know. But um, anyway, short history of So maybe you currency. do believe in some conspiracies. I'm being silly. Right. Dark I Ages, believe, it got dark fast. I believe in the debt market. Okay. Debt, it's your friend. <laughs> Find feel, more credit cards. Oh my gosh. The Is highest that, interest rate possible. It's all about the points, people. It's all about the points. The conspiracy of points. Oh my gosh. It's like bizarro Dave Ramsey. Okay. We're going to move on to Jeffrey Epstein. Here we go. Oh my gosh. Not a fan. Uh, we had several people ask who killed Jeffrey Epstein, but then one person... Okay. 
obviously you guys can answer that if you want, if you think you know. But Beth said something about, I don't know that humans can be organized enough to pull some of the stuff off that Christian said. And so somebody wrote this. Although you say human beings could never be so organized as to hatch some such intricate conspiracies, how then do you rationalize something like the Epstein scandal, which was surprising in its depth and reach amongst the most wealthy, rich, and politically savvy people? It seemed pretty organized and efficient in hiding its secrets rather well and even continuing to shroud itself from the public eye. And I've watched the Netflix special, yeah. so I'm basically an expert. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to hold it okay just because uh that was in response to the thing that i said i will say like i'm not trying to say that like no human beings have ever organized themselves together to accomplish a task that would be silly because that's what we did tonight uh but um more so just that as far as the level of some of these claims in theories uh and ideas of how many people and the fact that it's every single elite person is all on the same page and all trying to accomplish the same goal. That's what sounds crazy to me. Um, as far as like the things that have been uncovered, um, I, those are smaller scale than some of these other claims. And so I think that there's a world where some of this stuff, like people conspire and are able to pull things off, but it's not, I just can't see it on the scale that a lot of these claims are making it, if that makes sense. I'm not going to make a comment on the Epstein thing. No. Well, well, no, I, I, I'm, I mean, in this sense, I distance myself from my friends on the edge because I don't, I think that there's too, there are too many examples in human history of the coordination, secrecy, um, uh, and, and devotion to do evil things that have been done not for short periods of time, but for long periods of time. Um, it's happened too many times for us to say that it, it can't happen on a large scale, on a country scale, um, uh, or, or nations working together. Like, this has just happened too many times. I think the, the difficult part for us is also that we kind of forget that we are, we are more like sheep than we are as individuals. Uh, how many times do you laugh at like a psych experiment done in a, in a, on like a YouTube video where there'll be like people in a dentist's office and then somebody will just stand up every time a bell rings and people who aren't in on it will like come into the dentist's office and eventually start standing up just like everybody else did. We would all love to think that in the grand scheme of things, we are like Katniss Everdeen and we're just gonna be the revolutionary. But we're more often than not, and history would bear this out to be true, we more often than not just go along with the flow. That's, that's, and maybe on this side of history, we'll look back and like the easy one is like the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. But the reality is that most of us are of the natural inclination to just not intervene or not stop. And, that's an easy one, but there are too many examples of that throughout history. So I, I think it's, the scale of something doesn't bother me. The question is just, is this particular thing true? Like, if it is, then it is. If it's not, then it's not. But uh, yeah, Jeffrey Epstein did evil things and was connected clearly to uh, all kinds of political figures from all around the world. And I don't know who killed him. Uh, that's. I mean, nobody knows. That would be quite the scoop. I know, right? I know, right now at TLT. Yeah, no. But I mean, but, but, but for us to pretend like we don't know now and that there wasn't just like his accomplice convicted 
for the high level of conspiracy of trafficking of women that connected him to powerful leaders around the world. But for us to act like that's not true, that's equally as absurd as you know, some of the things that we might get uncomfortable with because mm -hmm. that happened. Mm -hmm. Like, it's true. It's, it's been verified. People testified to these things. And are there more things? Possibly. I don't, I don't know. Do you want to weigh in, Christian, on who killed Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah, tell us about this. Okay. That, that would be an example of, I don't know. That, that, I, it's not something I know how to verify. Supposedly, he hung himself? Did he? Who's going to tell us? Like, I, I don't know how to step back and verify that. But there's a lot we can verify, like how the money system works. And we can come up with some pretty good hypotheses of how they fund everything that we wouldn't hope they're funding. So anyway. All right. Some, did you want to say something? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just in quick response to that, I think there is a level where. Here, just Hello. Just keep talking. Just okay, keep sorry. talking. Okay. Just keep um, talking. I think there is a. Uh, oh, I lost my trade of thought. Yes, I, that's not going to help me. That was just me rambling till I got to my point. Uh, no, I think that there is. The question that I would ask whenever these things come up and we're asking about, like, is there possibly some deep conspiracy in all of this is, um, I got They're working loud. on it. You just keep <laughs> yeah. talking. Um, is, is, is it our job or is it necessary for me personally to verify these things? I think that at some point, these large questions and these large conspiracies can act as distractions to keep us from actually doing the work in front of us as Christians and members of the church and just loving our neighbor. Um, and while our neighbor does involve people we don't know, it's uh, harder to get involved when we don't have all of the facts. So I would say that, yes, a lot of these things have been uncovered and we've seen these conspiracies come to light. And those we can say, yes, that was terrible. And the neighbors of those people needed to have recognized that and done something about it. In a lot of cases, they did. Um, as for us, I don't know if it's good for us or healthy or something that is actually our responsibility as members of the church and individuals in the context that we've been placed to spend all our time on social media trying to uncover these deep political conspiracies when we could just be serving food to the homeless person next door. Um, and that, I think, is kind of more so where I would go rather than trying to say, like, oh, it's not true, is, is this something that is my responsibility to uncover and do something about, or should I be taking my time and energy and putting it towards loving my immediate neighbor? And we are going to talk at the end about like what can we do about some of these things if we do believe these things are happening. I do want to give a quick caveat because some of you are sending in questions about Satanism, which are fascinating questions. But this is a two-part series, right? Conspiracies and Satanism. And tonight we're going to focus a little bit more on the conspiracy side. And in October, close to Halloween, nice and spooky, uh, we're going to talk more about Satanism. And we've already talked to somebody from the... Uh, satanic temple and and we've got some things brewing we've got some ideas going so it'll be it'll be good but uh if you've put a question in about that i'm probably going to hold it off until october so keep it keep it in your mind and come back but the next question i think this is interesting um the epstein thing made me think that this is where we should go next to prime oh it says um can you give three or five three to five examples that's very specific but an example or two of events labeled conspiracy theories that turned out to be true. Christian's like, I got a book. Well, you can start us off if you want, or somebody else can. 
you will never have to choose between taking an experimental injection and your job. Hmm. Um, we, the Tuskegee experiments that were run yes. on, I mean, it's happened, and that wouldn't be the only time. Um, I'm gonna assume you, sir, are not a fan of those experiments. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, the idea that people would run experiments, like, government would run experiments on people to their detriment, that's actually happened a bunch of times in the last hundred years. And that should make us uncomfortable. Like, and, I, and for, as far as the hope side of things go, I, I, think, I think it's important for us to be aware that these kinds of things happen, that people literally thought that they were being given uh, a treatment, but instead were being given syphilis or, or whatever it was for years, like, like as the church who's taking care of the people who are sick and hungry and needy, like that level of corruption should bother us. And we should want to root out the source of not just did that happen, but who did that and what motivated them to do those things. Um, and how do we make, ensure that people who share similar ideologies would never be given power? But as long as we like and eh, that just didn't happen, or it did, but it's, it's not immediate, then it continues to happen over and over again. Uh, un left unchecked, people will typically continue to do the bad things that they were doing. I think my only response to that is, even if it's checked, people will continue doing the bad things that they're doing. Sure. Um, I don't, I think it's a dangerous thing to assume that it is within our power to purify the world of evil. I think it is within our I think it is within our power to tap into the grace, love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and meet evil with good to the extent that we're able to do it. But what we shouldn't I think expect is that through some uh, tour de force of organizing in human will we're going to scrub the world clean of evil and its intentions because Oftentimes, the next evil is latent within the good, the good actions we're taking today. Yeah, and I, I'm not, I, I would never push that we will fix all evil uh, in this world. I, I, that, that, that's not the point. But I do think that to the extent that we are called by God to be salt and light, then wherever we go, whatever we see, the light exposes what's in the darkness. So the more that we bring the gospel to places, there should be us. Uh, I don't think we, we serve the, the homeless, and, and because we'll never rid the world of homelessness, we don't feel compelled to serve those who don't have a home, those who are hungry, those who are uh, stuck in destructive sin patterns. Like we, and yet there's a hopefulness that the God that we serve is sovereign over those things. And if I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, walk into whatever this is, that there will be chains broken. Anybody who's ever been freed of an addiction, who's ever come out of a terrible situation, a destruction of a destructional sin pattern, uh, whether it was generational or in they were the initiator in their family line, just shouting because somebody walked into a dark place and said, here's the gospel, here's the light. So we're not saying, and I know you don't believe that, but I, I, we can't just go, well, we'll never feel, rid the world of all evil, so let's not ask these questions or uh, push for more. So I, my, my one response, this is fun. Uh, I know, right? 
I would say that the, that the evil we should be most interested in is the evil that is within ourselves. In other words, the evil that, that it, we have the most leverage over and that is the most exposed to us by the light of the gospel is the evil within ourselves. And that, and I think Jesus is with me here, that should be where most of our focus and energy goes. Um, and the second thing I'll say is, I have worked with a lot of people who have found their faith to be a means out of addictive patterns. The one thing which is constant among all of those people is the temptation to return to those addictive patterns. There is no magic bullet that gets you out of um, the situations that you're in, and the potential to end up back in those situations is always there and always real. Um, so I, I would, I, I would be, I'm, I'm nervous about telling people who are struggling with addiction there is a magic bullet for that um, because the gospel is not a magic bullet. It's an, a life, it's, a, it's an eternal transformation into glory, right? But that, that doesn't mean that those temptations are not going to remain something that you struggle with, right, for the whole of your time, whole of your life. Did, Christian, did you want to say anything? Or Beth? No, yeah. Okay. By the way, some of you are asking some questions that might just straight up give me a heart attack if I ask the panel. So you can grab Christian afterwards and you can ask him what he thinks. Like, what about the moon landing? What about the flat earth? Okay. Uh, Y'all, this is where it is good to be the MC. Okay. Um, and I know I said we were going to punt most of our questions about Satan and Satanism to the next one, but this one kind of goes to the, the beginning of your talk when you were talking about evil and evil forces and, and power. This person says, can Satan give us power and fame today if we worship or sell our soul to him? I don't think this person's asking like a how-to. You're like, can I sign up for this today? But... But can that still, can that happen today? Can we basically sell our soul and actually get power and fame? Anybody? I mean, it's kind of at you, but anybody can answer. I, I, I guess I would say he would like to tempt us into believing that we can have everything that we want if we will worship him. And he will whisper everything he wants into our ear, or he would want us to think, in order for us to believe that our happiness would be found there. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit can't check that, that we can't have something that says, that's not the spirit I wanna to listen to? Can we have a level of discernment? God promised he didn't leave us and that his spirit would always be in us and that he would give us wisdom to check those things. So can we sell our soul? Can we willfully choose to say, I reject Jesus, I reject the gospel? Yeah, we can choose that. Um, but what are you running to? Where do you find your hope when you do that? And I think that's part of the, the grand mystery that God set this world up, that we don't know everything and that he wants to woo us to him. And he gave us a choice. He could have made us robots and automatons, but he didn't. And there was wisdom in that that is above my pay grade. And I don't know how to answer that, but um, that's the way he set it up. Uh, I Yeah, I think as far as what we can know about Satan, and if we're talking about like the Satan that's mentioned in scripture, we have very little to go on. Uh, scripture does not talk a whole lot about Satan. Um, there are a few additional, but the majority of what scripture says about Satan were like the six verses in the beginning of his PowerPoint. Um, and so there are, there's 
a lot about, um, well, yeah, so all that to say, like, it's really hard for us to say, like, I, I believe that there is a personification of, like, the devil, Satan is a real entity that exists, but it's really hard for us to say, like, well, what can Satan do for us? What is Satan's, like, what is he doing right now? Like, scripture just doesn't give us a lot to go on, but in response to this question, I think it's more important that we look at what scripture does give us, which is, it says a lot about idolatry. It says a lot about having other gods and worshiping things that are not Christ. Um, and whether that's Satan or money, as Jesus points to, the worship of money and the serving God as opposed to serving money, you're not, like, anything that you sell your soul to that is not Christ is going to give you temporary and uh, worldly satisfaction. Um, and so we don't have to make it this big, deep, this is the devil who's doing this. It's us. It's our propensity. There's a word. Propensity. propensity thank you. Uh, it's our propensity to worship things that aren't God. Um, that happened ever since the beginning of time. Um, or Adam and Eve. Uh, so I think that that's I just kind of rephrasing our question in a way that we're thinking about, like, what does scripture give us? Scripture gives us a lot to say about idolatry and a lot to say about selling our soul to anything. And that that can give us stuff that's going to temporarily satisfy us. But in the end, we'll be like the rich young ruler in Luke 19 who walks away sad um, because the ultimate value, the ultimate treasure is Christ himself. And so we're fooling ourselves. I think... Keep talking, they'll figure it out. Uh, feedback is lovely. I think um, there's one thing that I, I, that, that I want to make very clear about Satan, and that is that Satan has been defeated. Yes. Satan continues to exist and yet has been detoothed by the cross and resurrection. Um, <laughs> so I, I say that because I think... Um, that it's a mistake to assume that, uh, that evil has no transpersonal intelligence. I also think it's a mistake to assume that evil has both transpersonal intelligence and a ton of actual real power. Um, the, the way that evil works is, that, is mostly through deceit, by convincing you that evil can give you things that evil cannot give you, right? Um, and so, as Christian people, I, I just, that's the one thing that I'll say about Satanism. I want to be very clear. Satan is a defeated enemy, has been a defeated enemy since Easter, is an enemy that you may have to combat, but which, as a baptized member of Christ's body, evil presents no genuine threat to you as a member of Christ's baptized body. You've been delivered from evil on Easter. And so, that, that's... The first Easter, not last Easter. Well, yeah, right. Uh, I guess I thought that was obvious. It's super recent. The, the day Jesus walked out of the tomb. Yeah. No, that'll preach. That's good. All right, moving us on. Okay, this person says, okay, serious question, which is funny because I think all of these are serious. Ask Christian, but I want all of you to, to remark on this, how his views on the Banks and Rothschilds aren't anti-Semitic. I knew we had to go here at some point, right? A lot of talk about conspiracy gets into anti-Semitism. They're basically 21st century reassertions of historic anti-Semitic tropes. Do you want me to say that again? It was a mouthful. You got it? I don't necessarily think evil picks a particular people group. It wants all of it, and it will go after whoever it can get. And are there people in the Jewish faith who've fallen into believing 
the father of lies? Yes. Are there people in every other faith who've done that? Yes. That, that's happened. That's happened to Peter, right? Paul talks about that. Be wise because the days are evil, right? There's something going on here. So um, am I picking on the Jews by pointing out Rothschilds and Rockefellers? And we could throw in a lot more different names in there. But no, I'm, I'm just giving you the names that we can verify. And the people, the way they have thought about institutionalizing evil, institutionalizing control. Did they know it was evil when they set out to do it? Or was it just a good idea? Did it grow and become something different and they couldn't give up the control? And there's probably some people who were in it, that governance and big business tends to attract people who just want to rule over other people, right? It, that's, that's a disproportionate percentage of the people who go into that. How many of you want to run for office? Nobody, right? You probably don't want, you're, you're, you don't wake up, you're like, I got to control people. I need to go be a TSA agent. Then I can be on a school board and then I can become mayor and then I can, right? You don't think that way. But some people wake up every day and they see every innovation. They see every system through the lens of how could I use this to control more stuff? Soros, Gates, Rockefeller, Carnegie, pick your really rich person. They, Carnegie, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller was asked when he was the most wealthy person in the world, how much is enough? Anybody know what his answer was? Just a little bit more. There's, it's insatiable. And so if it comes from the Jewish line, am I going to not call it out? If it comes from the Christian line? Boy, Christians, don't, we don't get a pass on missing things and on having the cleanest churches and records. And we have done some heinous things too. And we need to apologize for that. We need to repent from that. But does that mean we shouldn't call out institutionalized evil? No. The Bible says we have been given the power to demolish strongholds. That's, that's different language than love your neighbor, than feed the hungry. That is, when you see institutionalized evil, know that I've given you the authority to go after that too, and to demolish arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. That's also the power we have. And what if we started exercising that a little bit more? What if some of us, there's a point I didn't get to make, was whatever battle you are fighting, I don't know what that battle is, but boy, you lean in and fight it well. If you're fighting for your health right now, fight for that. If you're fighting for your kids and their education, if you're fighting to stay ahead of inflation, if you're fighting to put food on the table, if you are fighting to wrestle with concepts of evil or of how these things could actually happen, lean in and fight it well. I didn't fly to Houston because I didn't have anything else to do. I flew here because I, I felt I needed to not just sit on this knowledge I have. I, I am not going to be timid with speaking truth or speaking truth to power. And so if there's, if there's a consequence for that, then so be it. But Jesus didn't call. He didn't say, when I get back, I hope to find you in your basement playing Nintendo. I hope that you were just, you know, waiting for someone else to come save you. So when I get back, I want to see you on mission doing what I put you here to do. So whatever battle you're fighting, lean in and do it to the glory of God. And it doesn't have to be on a stage. It doesn't have to be for more than one person. But I think some of us need to roll up our sleeves. and We need to figure out how these fill in the blank have been pulling this off for a really long time. And maybe we could talk about it so that more of us wake up and more of us say, you know what? 
we don't have to continue to tolerate this. We can reject your new central bank digital currency like Ireland just did. We don't want your digitized control system. No thank you. We can, we can do that. But we have to be willing to get in the fight. Does anybody else have any comments about the anti-Semitic leanings of some of the conspiracy theory thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, obviously I agree with what Christian says. I mean, there, every religion, every, every group, I have a low anthropology. I fully believe that there are people in every religion and every group who, are, um, who have been seduced into believing that they can achieve what they can't achieve and that they can get what they can't get by means that won't give it to them. I think that the point of the question, though, was to point out that conspiracy theories in general tend, like every other story that human beings tell, have tropes. They're, they're, they're like, um, they're innovations on a, on a theme, right? They're variations on a theme. Um, and oftentimes in our society, conspiracy theories arise at times of profound anxiety and people are really afraid um, and one of the easiest things to do when you're really afraid is find someone who seems different from you and then tag them as the reason why you're suffering, right? Um, and so I think the question gets it at, at naming that these conspiracy theories certainly, first of all, John, John D. Rockefeller is an Episcopalian, so <laughs> we have to claim him, along with Carnegie, and J.P. Morgan, who, whose pension, who pays my pension. Anyway, so just getting all that out there. Um, but yeah, what little of it there is in my case. Uh, anyway, so, um, so uh, but, but, but what I will say is that these arguments about the Rothschilds, other, uh, other uh, Jewish business leaders have a dark history um, and have been used for some very heinous purposes. Um, and so I think the question is just, Wanting to name that that's a thing that happens. Um, I don't think any, anybody, I certainly wouldn't say that Christian himself is an anti-Semite. Uh, uh, but uh, but these, these stories can be perpetuated even if, you know, you don't know that that's what you're doing. Right, so. Anyway. We label things, we label people. If you label me a conspiracy theorist and I label you a blind sheep COVIDian cult member, we're probably not going to get very far in our discussion. <laughs> a blind sheep COVIDian cult member. I promise I won't call any of you that, right? That doesn't spur along dialogue. That, that <laughs> yeah. So why don't, why don't we stop using labels and why don't we get curious about who people really are and we sit with their arguments and we listen to them rather than labeling them. Um, a question about money came in. Um, by the way, this is how I know I'm not a conspiracy theorist because I'm very poor. <laughs> and that way I can't do any damage. Um, okay. Based on the strong scripture comments on money, should churches disconnect from the monetary system? Oh, people have thoughts. Based on the strong scripture comments on money, should churches disconnect from the monetary system? So I think that... Uh... In, in pastoral circles that I have been in, I think that um, if there's anything that the, that the last few years of the pandemic have showed um, uh, me and things I've tried to encourage people in is that I do agree to, the, to this much that I think a lot of the way that we have built the Western church is uh, kind of on a house of cards. It's in, inextricably tied to the uh, 
the, the, the uncertain soil of what's happening culturally. And um, if our understanding of what God has called us to is, is tied to giant buildings and uh, that the sum peak of what God has for us is uh, in a room on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half, uh, then when everything falls apart and you can't gather in large, in, in mass, then what happened to a lot of folks was they just, like, they don't share the gospel and do anything. That, you know, like the Great Commission somehow was on pause until we can all get back together in a big room on Sunday mornings. So um, do I think that we should be um, structured in a way, which, by the way, I think is what we actually see happen in Acts 2, uh, and beyond, that the church was structured in a way that when they found favor politically and things were fine, uh, yeah, they, they did what they did. But when the political turn, tides turned on them, they continued. And in fact, it was persecution that led the church to multiply greatly. So if your church is built on a financial system that requires everything to be going perfectly in order to do what it does, then that's problematic. Um, that might mean that more powers, more pastors have to uh, we have to change the way that we budget. We have to change the way that we view uh, practical ministry. We have to probably uh, 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 decentralize pastoral uh, power and authority to people to live out the gospel in their communities. But uh, yeah, I would say that the last couple of years showed, yeah, we have a problem. If this is it, when th- we can't do this, then nobody knows what to do. Um, very quickly, I think the only thing that I would say to that is that what scripture says about, because I think the question was like, given what scripture says about money, should we like disconnect from the monetary system? What scripture says about money, especially in the New Testament, especially the words of Jesus, is constantly over and over, sell everything you have and give the money to the poor. Um, and if we're not in the monetary system that the majority of the poor in our world is working in, then there's no way we would be able to do that. So I think... There's a world where, yes, we need to reprioritize how we think about money, exactly what you were saying, and think about it in a sense of how can we take this and use it to the advantage of those who are in poverty and the orphans and the widows and the sick and care for them. And we just won't be able to do that as a people, as the people of God, if we disconnect from um, the rest of the world. We are supposed to continue to be in the world, just not of it, and we have to figure out how to do that. Here's what I want to do as we get close to our end time. Don't worry, I'm watching the clock. Um, I got a question that's for Christian, but I want all of you to answer it. The question says, what concrete actions should individuals take if they accept your thesis? Uh, So I just want to ask all of you, maybe your last couple, you know, take a minute each, what concrete actions should any of us do given this entire topic, whether we accept everything that Christian said or not? How can we kind of go forward? What are the last thoughts as you send us back into this world. And then we're going to take a group photo, so get excited and put your love gloss on. Okay. Okay, I'll go first. Um, Concrete actions. I I guess let me back up and say, in 1935, when we invented Social Security, what was the average life expectancy? 60. What year do you get your retirement benefits? 65. Is inflation natural? No. It is a controlled, continual theft of our resources as people and of churches. 
It is, it's intentionally making it harder and harder for us to actually keep and store value that we worked really hard for. That's baked into the brilliance of the Federal Reserve System, right? So what do we do about that? Well, a lot of things we could do. One is talk about it and educate people, and at some day, maybe we even end the Fed. That would be amazing. But in the meantime, we use cash. We um, maybe even get into some debatable, but maybe even Bitcoin. If it can survive the Great Reset, it could be amazing, right? But we talk about this with our friends, and we think of wealth instead of money. We think of wealth in terms of health and in terms of relationships and in terms of skills and in terms of things that we can have that someone else might want. And we build a resilience into our existence, into our interactions, so we have more to bring to the table than a paper currency or a coin that someone else can say is valuable or not valuable at some point. And we build real wealth and we distinguish it from money. Everybody else has to be really quick so we can get our photo. Sure. Okay, so <laughs> I'm gonna try and go through these very, very fast because I think there are quite a few practical things you can do. One, get off social media. It's not doing you any good. Uh, two, um, actually look at the real, verified, proven things that are happening in your neighborhood and do something about them. Um, talk to the people who are in the back who have a ministry who are fighting sex trafficking in Houston. Um, a lot of these things, like I was saying before, can distract us, and we think there's some deep state conspiracy who's trafficking children, which, yes, there are people trafficking children, but if you make it such a grand scale that you're not actually able to do anything about it and all you're doing is trying to make people aware and tell them about it, then you're not doing what is actually available in front of you to do. And so um, find the people who are actually doing the work, find the people who are on the ground and fighting the evils that are in our midst. Um, so do that. And then there was one more thing. Where was it? Um, Check your beliefs. Your beliefs influence your actions. Um, I teach a class that's called Christian Worldview. I do Christian ethics. And everything I talk to them about is that you have to have a solid theology because your solid theology affects how you actually live your life. And so these things, uh, we have to be so careful with them. We have to remember the things that Christ has actually told us, which is don't be anxious about anything, but instead... Turn your anxiety into supplication and prayer, um, going to God and all these things. So if we're living our life scared of what's going to happen to the bank, that's not following the teachings of Jesus. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, we're, we got one minute. Does anybody else want to say anything? I'll defer my time. Oh, to the senator from the north. Mac, anything? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that first and foremost, if you don't, if you've not taken an account of your life to figure out what the, the driving priority for you is, uh, then you're missing. Um, because uh, while this is really important, like the Great Commission is still what you're called to. And so um, regardless of what's happening, whether uh, to really consider the words of Paul, whether you have a lot or a little in good or bad, like he's content because he knows what he's called to do. And so if you don't actually know what you're called to do, then I, I don't know how you survive the ups and downs of, of what's going on. So uh, don't make money your God. 
put the gospel and the Great Commission as the number one thing in your life. And uh, remember Hebrews uh, 10, thoughtfully consider how to stir each other up to good works. So that, that has to be a part of it. So our relationship with God, our relationship to others, if you do those things, you'll be okay regardless of what happens. Very good. Thank you. Okay, quick reminder that the second half of this conversation is going to happen October 18th, so come around for that. Come and talk to these guys if you have questions for them, and I'm going to ask Evan to come up and pray for us, and then that lovely lady in the back, Christina, we're going to try to get, because I wanted to get a picture of like all of us. I don't know quite how to do that, but they do it at weddings all the time, so I'm going to have her come up, and we're all just going to gather in the middle and pretend like we're having fun, even if you're not. Sound good? All right. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, that we can gather this evening in peace. We pray for your Holy Spirit that we would be able to discern uh, what is true and what is not, what is holy, what is not, and that we would pursue the good. Uh, We know that uh, the devil, the Satan, still has influence in this world, and we would pray that we would recognize that and fight against that uh, with the confidence of your Spirit with us. Bless our travels this evening. And what we have learned tonight, in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.